Hello, and welcome to another episode of Five Things, a web series dedicated to answering the five burning tech questions you have about technologies and workflows in the media creation space, plus tech stuff I dig and how it's used. I'm your host, Michael Cummins, and today we're delving into the immersive world of VR. Whoa, it's like I'm really on camera talking about things. I'm pretty sure by the time you click play on this video, you already had a pretty good idea as to what VR is. So I'll be as quick as possible so we can get into the good tech stuff. In this episode, I'm not gonna focus on CGI-based VR, nor things like panoramic stills or really hardcore things like stereoscopic VR. To keep this episode manageable, we're gonna stick with good old-fashioned mono live-action-based VR. We wanna get you home in time for supper. VR, virtual reality, is an immersive visual and audio experience, sometimes consisting of live action and many times being partly computer blended. The viewer, and as of today, the person wearing that huge headset, is placed within an environment and can interact to some degree with that environment. This universe is mine. I am God here. There is a fine line between VR and AR, augmented reality. AR, as the name implies, augments our existing environment. Iron Man's heads-up display or HUD in his helmet is a very basic example of this. Virtual reality transports you somewhere different, even if it's just your neighbor's house. When they're home, of course. VR can be 360 degrees, or in some cases, can be less than that. Not only does this help with the creators to focus the story within a certain visual space, but it also helps hide many of the tricks that were used in production to get that shot. I won't bore you with talking about the bajillions of dollars poured into the VR industry, nor the marketing fluff surrounding VR, and we'll just get to the tech goodness of the VR medium. So you want to shoot VR, do you? Break out that credit card, you're gonna need a lot of cameras. At least three to four if you're using fisheye lenses on the cameras, five minimum or six or more with more standard lenses. These cameras also have to be in a camera rig that positions your cameras de jour just so, and as to allow for the maximum amount of coverage with just enough overlap so you can stitch the angles together in post. Quite frankly, you can use just about any camera out there, but not all VR rigs fit all cameras. GoPros and Nikons are common weapons of choice, and higher-end folks will use a batch of RED cameras or the 16-camera rig by Google Jump or the all-in-one Nokia Ozo. Jount also has a fantastic all-in-one rig, but their tech and workflow is a little bit different than what we're covering today, but definitely check them out. You also need to decide if you're shooting cylindrical or spherical, meaning is most of your action happening in the landscape around you or above and below you? If it's more of a limited field of view, you can forgo the cameras at the sky and the floor of your shot and instead use those cameras to get the increased resolution within the landscape of your shot thus shooting cylindrical. This also gives you a slight advantage if you need to hide the tripod or the lights from above in your shot. Otherwise, when you absolutely positively need to get every single thing in the shot, you go spherical. We're approaching the wreck and there's this spherical object resting in the highway. And it's not a piece of the car. You're also gonna need a healthy serving of fast quality memory cards for your cameras. You can't afford to save a few bucks on substandard cards and lose data. One lost camera shot and the entire sequence is, well, shot. 
You'll also need card readers, camera batteries, and storage space. After all, you're recording and storing an exponentially larger amount of data than traditional shoots. Okay, so you've got your rig, you've got your cameras, you've got your lighting magically hidden so it's not in the shot. And now you're ready to record. Not so fast there, lawnmower man. A few things you need to know. First, make sure all cameras are recording in the same way. Meaning, same codec, same frame size and frame rate, same exposure, same white balance, etc. Try and shoot in a flatter look too, so when you do start color grading, it'll be easier to balance all of the cameras in post. Lastly, if you can, jam sync all of the cameras for common timecode. Any difference between the cameras, from a visual or metadata standpoint, will not be easily solved in post. Seriously, spend the time and get it right on set. There are some basic guidelines for shooting. As we're focusing more on tech, I'll skip the artistic guidelines, but I'll give you a few pointers. First, talent. Don't get too close to the camera rig. Anyone closer than about six feet to the rig can get pretty distorted, be careful. Also, the knee-jerk reaction is to try and record your talent in stereo or with surround sound microphones. Don't. Record the talent in mono as you've normally done and then manipulate it in post later. It also somewhat future-proofs you as VR technology begins to more easily incorporate perceptual audio into post workflows and presentation technology. Well, just like, and I can't believe I'm saying this, just like regular old 2D video, the line between production and post has blurred. Post is starting on location and VR is certainly no exception. First, you'll need to get the data off of the cards. Hence the reason I mentioned needing a bunch of card readers. You'll want to be incredibly organized with your data, including naming convention and, and organizing by card and take, and using software solutions to assist wherever possible. Color is a very popular option. Color specializes in data wrangling for VR and also handling some stitching and other post processes for VR-based productions. Whatever solution you use, make sure the solution has checksumming built in. You can't afford to have a bad card copy from a Finder or Explorer drag and drop. You'll also need sizable and reliable storage. If multiple editors, look into a robust SAN or NAS solution. In fact, you can check out my previous three-part series on choosing the right shared storage solution to find a shared storage solution that works best for you and your production. So, you've got your clips, now you need to sync them and stitch this video together into a flat equirectangular image that you could view on your computer screen. An equirectangular image is commonly used in maps of the Earth, as we've tried to represent this spherical Earth on a flat map since, well, since forever. 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 Now, creating this equirectangular image is tricky. This is where the aforementioned color comes into play. Color can use timecode and other clues from the files to start attempting to stitch the files together. More often than not, you'll need to tweak the stitching, as we're not at a point where it can be done 100% successfully in an automated fashion, although the all-in-one shoot, stitch, and upload solution by Jaunt comes pretty close. From here, you render out a single video file and then begin the process of forming a narrative or experience inside your NLE du jour. For editorial, 
This will certainly include a hefty amount of time hiding seams, or fixing talent crossing the stitch areas, or reducing camera jitter, or fixing production issues from onset by rotoscoping. It's honestly more triage than pure creativity with some of your early projects, as well as learning what kind of pacing, transitions, and text work in VR versus good old-fashioned HD video. For creative editorial, more often than not, picture editing is done in Premiere, using tools like the Skybox solutions from Metal. I expect Premiere usage for VR to only rise, given the new VR playback features inside the planned summer 2016 update to Premiere. That being said, Tim Dashwood's 360 VR plugin for Final Cut 10 is pretty groovy. As a general rule, transcoding to a proxy format to make editorial a bit less painful is a good way to go about things. The inflated resolution from all of the stitched angles can kill performance on older computers. Wait, so you're telling me you want folks to actually consume what you're serving? You're so demanding! We have a few ways of doing this, and all involve an HMD, or a head-mounted display. Let's start with the most common, your smartphone. This is the easiest way to dip your toe into the murky VR waters. Many devices, such as this Viewmaster here, can accommodate your cell phone, using your mobile device as the VR video player. Google Cardboard is another very popular sub-$20 solution to get you started, and with a quick Amazon search, you'll find a ton of other very similar alternatives. One of the major drawbacks with using smartphones for VR is effective resolution. The visual quality is severely lowered when the phone is pushed right up against your face. In the face! In the face! <laughs> you can actually see the pixels on the screen, and this negates some of the realism promised to us by VR advocates. There is little doubt, however, that this issue will decrease as mobile screen technology improves. If you want to step up in the world, we can move to a more robust solution, that is, one that's powered by a workstation. Tethered HMDs, like Oculus Rift, Sony Morpheus, rely on the horsepower that a larger computer can deliver. Of course, these HMD units are several hundred dollars and still require the computer to power them. Most likely, we'll see this methodology find itself useful in the gaming market, where you already have the console to power the tethered headset. Lastly, we have YouTube 360, which, as the name implies, is a YouTube channel, but with 360-degree videos. You can play these on whatever device supports YouTube and 360 videos. The YouTube 360 channel has close to 1.2 million subscribers, so the interest is definitely there. Ah, uh, yes, the question everyone has been asking. Here's my two cents. We've been looking for a more immersive video experience since the first flickering images appeared on the first makeshift CRT. Color was more real than black and white, and HD was more real than SD. VR is simply another step in that immersion evolution. Where I believe VR may be able to capitalize on this is that not only is it more visually immersive, but unlike the linear 3D it's commonly compared to, VR is emerging as an individual interactive experience, an almost choose-your-own-adventure in some respects. This is the kind of immersion people are looking for. Certainly, nonlinear applications like gaming or tourism or healthcare, uh, education, marketing, and the adult industry are easy fits for the technology, and these industries collectively earn way more money than the film or TV industry ever will. But will audiences wildly adopt headsets or tethered systems by eventually paying for it in theaters, and then paying for it and their home TVs? 
And will the consumer demand force the hand of the studio system to mass produce cinematic VR content to supply the consumers? I'm not sold, but it's pretty cool anyway, huh? Have more VR concerns other than just these five questions? Ask me in the comments section. Also, please subscribe and share this tech goodness with the rest of your techie friends. Until next time, learn more, do more. Thanks for watching.